for you on a Sunday morning. And Lord, we just simply need you to work in our hearts and lives. We pray that as we sing these hymns that we would be ever reminded that we sing them in worship to you. Lord, I pray that during the preaching that we would be ever mindful. It is your word that we are examining, your words that you have written to us. And Lord, that none of us would withhold our obedience that should be and is rightfully yours. Lord, we ask that you would work in hearts. We pray for the offering, for the invitation, the special music, every portion of this service. Lord, that you would be able to be blessed and find your praise and your worship in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To Acts chapter 2. And, of course, if you're familiar with your Bible, you know that Acts chapter 2 is the story of the sermon on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was a uh, feast. It was one of the three times in the year that all Jewish men were to appear in Jerusalem at the temple before the Lord. Uh, the reason it's called Pentecost in, in our New Testament is from the Greek uh, suffix, or prefix, actually, penta, meaning 50. It was 50 days from the Passover. Jesus was crucified. Forty days he appeared to his disciples. And somewhere in that ten-day uh, period before the fifty days were expired, Jesus ascended into heaven. And the disciples were waiting in Jerusalem until they were endued with power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, there's a lot of questions and things that are brought up. But let's just suffice it to, to look at this. Look at verse 8. It says, And how hear we every man in our language wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia in Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Now, this is what happened on the day of Pentecost. Now, if you turn on TBN uh, or many of the Christian radio stations, you'll hear people saying, we have the day of Pentecost every Sunday at our church because we speak in tongues. Uh that doesn't happen. Not like this. You see, it lists the languages that they spoke in. And there are many different languages. And part of the uh, phenomena of this day was that God gave the disciples the ability to speak different languages that they had never learned, never studied. Uh, they, the disciples were not known for their great educational prowess. Uh, the only one that may have held any type of education at all would have been Judas Iscariot. Uh, the rest of the disciples were uh, what has been affectionately uh, coined as Hicks or uh, Hayseed, and uh, uh, they like to, uh, in this last election, you heard a lot about flyover country. Uh, that's the part of this nation where important people that have important things to do fly over to get there. Uh, no, actually, most of this country is what would be classified flyover. And that's where the people of this nation live. That's why the pollsters couldn't get it right. That's why they don't understand. And that's where the disciples were. They were of the simple folk. They didn't believe in the nuances and, the, and all of the uh, flowery speech of the day. And yet, on this day of Pentecost, and let's just take a moment here while we're here and debunk some of the other myths here. Uh, 
Uh, look at verse 1. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with all one accord in one room. And that was about 120 people, if you read in Acts chapter 1. And suddenly, there came a what from heaven? Can you read that word out loud? Suddenly, there came a... From heaven, as of a mighty rushing, as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Now we're going to take a little bit of time for a grammar lesson here this morning. What filled the house? The sound filled the house. I don't know how many songs a wind filled the house, a mighty rushing wind. How many preachers I've heard. Uh, on the radio talking about the mighty rushing wind came upon the place and blew everything in it all to smithereens, you know. No. There was no wind in the room. It was a sound. And then the next verse, it says, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of what? If it's like as, is it the same? No. Like as means very similar, but definitely not the object spoken. So these tongues were not fiery tongues. They were made out of something that looked like fire, but had they sat on the head of the apostles being made truly of fire, bad things would have happened. Because fire burns things. And uh, if you uh, are ladies, be careful around candles. Hair is very flammable. Uh it's, it's just a rule of life. These tongues were not made out of fire. It was something like as fire. It wasn't a mighty rushing wind filling the place. It was a sound. And the disciples went forth from this place and they spoke in languages that people who were present understood. Now, we have many languages represented in our church right here. And we'll have to do that again sometime, especially when our 25th comes up. We'll have to get everybody lined up again and, and, and do praise the Lord and sing it in all those different languages. Uh, I love getting out the old videotape there and just, just playing that. Uh, that, was a, that was a special thing. But... If we had someone come up here, and in fact, we're going to have Brother Benjamin Park come and preach our missions conference this year. But I've made one request that he already understands, and I I don't even have to say it out loud. I need him to preach in English, not Korean. Because if he preached in Korean, we'd only have two or three people here that might understand it. The rest of us, he he could be speaking in anything, and it just wouldn't make sense to us. You wouldn't. I have tried as I listen to people speak in other languages to try to pick out some of the words that are in there. And you know what? It, Without having it written down in front of you where you can actually see those words, it's almost impossible uh, without having a knowledge of that language to understand where the words stop and begin. Uh, when I was in first grade, I was trying to figure out what letter in the alphabet LMNOP was. How many of you remember that song? Now, I've sung my ABCs, LMNOP, and I, I, just, uh, I don't know if I asked the teacher or not, but I, I do know that it took me quite a while to figure out that it was L-M-N-O-P, not LMNOP. And um, the uh, thing was, the Jewish people that were there that shared the educational proudness of the apostles when they heard... We're talking about ignorant people here, okay? Uh, when they heard all these other languages, they were standing there going, these guys are drunk. They're, they're not even speaking in, in anything I understand. And yet, the Bible is very clear. 
it gives us a list of all these languages that are there. People say, well, why don't we speak in tongues today like they did? That would prove that what we teach is right. Right? Wrong. It wouldn't. If you want proof that what I'm teaching is the truth, what do you, where do you go? Hold it up. This is where you go. It wouldn't matter what I said, what kind of miracles I could do, what kind of phenomena I could prove or bring to pass. If I disagree with this book called the Bible, guess what? I'm wrong. And that standard holds true for any person, any group, any organization, anything out there. If you want the standard of truth, it's the Bible. Well, what didn't the apostles have on the day of Pentecost? They were living the Scripture. It couldn't possibly have been written down yet. And so God gave them this phenomena, this miraculous occurrence of speaking in these languages which they had never studied. My great-grandmother, her first husband, uh, he, uh, she actually married three different men over a period of about 50 years. And finally, she died at 98 years old, I believe, or 99, something like that. But her first husband, I got many of, the, of his books. And these books go back to the turn of the last century. The 1880s, 1890s, early 1900s. This was the formative time for the tongue-speaking movement. Uh, the fixed date that most historians or most people who pay attention to these things would put on the tongue, modern tongue-speaking movement is 1906. There was, were no organized churches that remotely resembled Christianity that believed or practiced the phenomena of speaking in tongues before 1906. And by the way, 1906 was a group of spiritist tarot card readers. They, they were not Christians, but they were close enough that it bled over into the Christian church. And this is the beginning of what we call the charismatic movement. I have their books, some of them. Apparently, my my great-grandfather Stevens believed in some of these things. And they actually said in their books that very soon we'll be able to send missionaries to the world without ever attending language school because of the blessing that God has brought back to his church. I want to challenge you, not one missionary has ever been sent to anybody never having studied or learned the language of those people. That is a fact. The languages that were spoken here were languages people recognized. If you want to know where these churches came from, uh, there's much controversy in certain circles as how the church at Rome got started. Well, it's very simple. There were strangers of Rome on the day of Pentecost. They got the gospel message and took it back and realized that they were no longer welcome at the synagogue. And, and so they had a church. Someone said, what church did they start out of? Well, it would have been the church at Jerusalem. They were there. They were in attendance. They would have been added to them as members of that church on this day. The church at Antioch. The church in Crete, the church in Cyprus, the churches in North Africa. All of these things have their roots in the day of Pentecost. They were there. They heard the gospel message in their mother tongue. And so we come down here in verse 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Verse 14, But Peter... 
Now, why was Peter the preacher on the day of Pentecost? Well, if you remember back to Matthew 16, Jesus said, I'm going to give to you the keys of the kingdom. Peter is not standing at the pearly gate deciding who gets into heaven and who doesn't. The pearly gates are the new Jerusalem. They're not in heaven. The ideal here is that somehow Jesus gave Peter special power in the church. No, he did not. He just gave Peter the privilege of preaching the first gospel message to the Gentile, to the Jew, Pentecost, to the Gentile. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius of the Italian band. And if you have any questions about the half-Jews, read Acts chapter 8. It was Peter and John that went up there and laid hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Peter was the one that Jesus said would be the first to preach the gospel to these people. And so Peter stands up and it says, With the eleven lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judah and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing that it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Let me ask you a question. If I could show you some verifiable event with specifics that happened today and then produce a recorded history of those same events that predated the occurrence by 800 years, what would you say? Say that that's a miracle. Would you agree with me? If you could write history 800 years before it happened, and then have history happen in such a way 800 years removed that you could actually make a connection between an 800-year document and current events, there, there would only be one honest explanation for that. That some being or person outside the limits of time as we know them had given direct intelligence of something that would happen in the future. By the way, I've just given you the basic timeline of every stupid alien movie that has ever been made by Hollywood. And don't tell me there are people in this auditorium that haven't watched Star Trek. And all of these sci-fi movies out there. Oh, are there ancient aliens in Egypt that... Give me a break. How come it is so easy for us to believe some stupid movie and so hard to believe in God? Hello? That's why I came up with the title of this sermon. Why didn't they see it? Joel lived approximately 800 years. The best we understand, Joel was one of those prophets of uh, very little information, but the references he made, the, the best of scholarship puts him uh, during the reign of Joash. And, and that would be about 800 or so B.C., 800 years before the time of Christ. Christ has now lived 33 and a half years on earth. We're right about, uh, depending on whose calendar you're using, because there's quite a mess up with calendars. God doesn't make mistakes, but people sure do trying to reckon, but we're somewhere around 33 A.D. uh, in the simplest reckoning that we can come up with. And here Peter, on the day of Pentecost, quotes a document. It's approximately 800 years old. And makes a direct connection to the events on the day of Pentecost to the prophecy of Joel. Now let's read Peter's 
And then we'll read Joel, uh, verse 16 of Acts chapter 2. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that's Peter's. Quote, so let's go to the book of Joel. Hosea, Joel. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. The book of Joel. Chapter 2. And the book of Joel, its primary purpose is to bring, is to prophesy God's judgment against the children of Israel for their uh, lack of faithfulness to the Lord, for their refusal to follow His word and simply trust Him. And He's talking about the blessing that starts in verse 21. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. And then we get down to the heart here of verse uh, 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord shall, before the day, terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord hath said and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So Peter's quotation was not word for word, and and, uh, most of the scholars like to go through here and say, you see, Peter was quoting the Septuagint, a Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, No, here's what happened. Is in Joel, we have the Hebrew Scriptures. And Peter would have spoken in Hebrew, but it was then translated into Greek, for the New Testament was recorded in the Greek language. And both of those languages, Hebrew and Greek, were translated into English. And if you got an exact word-for-word correspondent after all of that translation, I would accuse you of doctoring the documents. It's just that simple. But Peter is making a correlation to the prophecy that he says, this is the pouring out of the Spirit of God. Now, where would Peter get that information? Well, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is going to empower you. Acts chapter 1, 8, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And what was the job they were going to do? They were going to tell people about Jesus. Is that what happened on the day of Pentecost? Did the disciple, did Peter's message tell people about Jesus? Well, let's go back and make sure. There's only two of you that are sure here this morning, so we'll go back for the rest of you, all right? Acts chapter 2. I'm going to teach you how to say amen one way or the other. Amen. I got three that time. We're moving. So, verse 22, 
Ye, Acts chapter 2 now. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also known, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Sounds like a sermon about Jesus. Amen. And uh, let's get down to uh, uh, verse 31. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. And he goes on. The, the, verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. Uh, you can't honestly controvert those words. Peter's message was about Jesus. And Jesus said that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden they started speaking in languages they'd never heard themselves speak in. And the people that were there, and, and some have said, oh, maybe it was a miracle in the ears of the hearers, not the speakers of the language. Well, your Bible text is fairly clear that the miracle was in the mouth of the speakers that they were able to speak these languages and people were able to hear and understand them. Uh, some of you remember Brother Thompson. Uh, my pastor was here one time and, and one of his favorite little jokes is, I speak every language in the world but Greek. He said, say something to me in Portuguese or say something to me in some other language and somebody would and he'd just say, all sounds like Greek to me. And uh, the only language he spoke was Greek. I mean, English, sorry. And, and uh, he made everything, uh, he, he, that was just one of his favorite little jokes. But these people were hearing real languages being really spoken. And Peter says, the prophecy of Joel, 800 years before, is fulfilled here this day. Now, the only explanation for that is that either Peter was lying or Peter was telling the truth. Amen? To have something prophesied 800 years And have it come to pass and to be recognized for any honest person. Now, you have to remember to, the message was given to whom? The Jewish people here on the day of Pentecost. Who was Joel? He was a Jewish prophet. They had his prophecy included in their Bible. In fact, the Jewish Bible today still has the prophecy of Amos in there very much totally in agreement with the prophecy that's translated to English in the book of Joel in our King James Bible. There's not much argue about the Hebrew words because the Jewish people did a very good job of preserving the manuscripts. The only people who really want to argue about the Hebrew words are people who have an agenda trying to subvert our faith in the accuracy of the Word of God. I'm not against learning Hebrew. If I had the time, I would love to learn Hebrew. Just so I could stick it in the face of all those scholars who think they know what they're talking about. But I want you to understand something. The message that Joel spoke about is the message of the gospel. 
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 13. That is the message of the gospel. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want you to read with me verses 1 and 2. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all them in every place, with all that in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Here's what Paul's doing. He is giving a letter of introduction. He is telling us that he is an apostle. He's got uh, this fellow named Sophanes with him. And he's writing to the church in Corinth. He's writing to them which are saved, which are sanctified, which call upon the name of the Lord. The same Lord that saved the Corinthians, Paul said, is the same Lord that saves me. You see, this calling on the name of the Lord was one of the characteristics of the early church. See, how did the Jews believe that they had salvation? Or being born a Jew, number one. Number two, keep the law. How many times when someone asked Jesus, how, how do you get into the kingdom of God? He said, well, what does, the, what does the Bible say? He said, well, keep the law. Well, what does the law prove? law proves that I can't keep the law. The law shows me that there is no hope in my works. Paul the Apostle put it this way in the book of Galatians. He said, the law is my schoolmaster. It is my teacher. It demands, it, it forms my thoughts and my reasoning capabilities so that there is only one honest conclusion that I can come to. Not only two plus two has always, will always, and can only be four, unless you're an accountant or work for the government budget office. That's a simple fact. Two plus two equals four. It never has honestly been or could be anything else. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Never has been, cannot honestly be anything else. That there is salvation in none other, for there is none other name given under heaven among men, whereby we must... Be saved. That's Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. That's the apostle's testimony. This message of Joel, recorded 800 years before the day of Pentecost. Paul, uh, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, says, This attendant phenomena that you see, the languages that we speak in that we have never studied nor could not possibly have learned, being here in the backwoods of the land of Israel is not gibberish, but real languages given to us by the Holy Spirit of God so that we can give you proof beyond any doubt that the message which we preach is the message of God to no longer take your sacrifices to the temple in Jerusalem, but to simply call on the name of the Lord. If you're here today and you think you're saved by any other method, any other way, I must, as a student of this book called the Bible and a preacher of the gospel, inform you that you cannot be saved 
I am so glad that it is not a verbal speaking. It says, call upon the name of the Lord. You can do that with your heart. How do our deaf people who cannot communicate in spoken language call upon the name of the Lord? Same way you do. Amen. How do the blind who cannot see? Well, many of them can speak, so that's the way they do it. But someone has to explain to them what's written down. Then how come so many people that can see and hear don't get it? Why didn't they see this? Well, I want to challenge you. One of the problems with the Jewish people in the day of Jesus as he walked on this earth is the ignorance of Scripture. The scrolls were kept at the temple and at the synagogues, but seldom would a synagogue have an entire collection of the 39 books that make up our Old Testament. Almost every synagogue would have had a Torah scroll That would have been Genesis through Deuteronomy. And uh, most of them would have had part of Esther, the book of Esther, or or the entire book of Esther, because they celebrated Purim. And and, uh, uh, most of them would have had the Psalms and uh, Isaiah, uh, as Jesus would read from it often in the synagogues. But that one synagogue might have an entire collection of every scroll, that, that would have been a pretty unusual occurrence. But how do you get familiar with the Scriptures if you don't read them? If you don't listen to them be read to you? How many of you remember what happened in the city of Berea in Macedonia? Is that right? Yes. They studied the Scriptures daily. To make sure. That's why there's a lot of Berean Baptist churches around. They said, we want to be like the Bereans. We want to study the Scriptures. That's why every Sunday, for all these years, we've never had a service without opening up this book and trying to explain it. Because that was one of the great problems. But I will tell you that that ignorance did not pervade upon everyone For the Bible tells us back in Acts chapter 2, if we'll go down to verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, there were about 120 disciples on the day of Pentecost. But at this sermon... Now, there would have been, uh, on Passover, they tell us that the population in Jerusalem would swell close to a million people. Pentecost would not be quite that popular, but there would be hundreds of thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem come there for the Feast of Pentecost. It was part of those that religiously kept the law. I want you to know that not everybody saw it, but some people did. There were 3,000 of them that were baptized that day. You say, wow, how did that happen? Well, you just get busy. Amen? Uh, It doesn't take that long to baptize someone. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, under the water, out of the water, name of the... uh, That's what they did out of necessity to get that many people baptized. Baptism is a public testimony of something you've already done in your heart. Could you say amen to that? Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is no good to you until after you are saved. Baptism is meaningless until after you have called upon the name of the Lord. Could we say amen to that? And so... We need to understand something. 3,000 souls were added to the church. 
This explains the founding of the churches in Antioch and the churches in Rome and the churches in Crete and Cyprus and many of those other places. The Bible does not give us a a detailed history, but please don't believe those who would fabricate a history. There's no evidence that Peter was ever in Rome under any circumstances, let alone buried there. None whatsoever. But we do not have the throwing away of God's law. What we have is the fulfillment of it. If you owe a debt and you pay off the debt, there is normally some type of letter of satisfaction. That's a very precious piece of paper. Many churches, when they pay off their mortgage will burn the mortgage. We did not burn our mortgage because it would require a fire department permit. It's about that thick. Uh, And so we weren't going to burn the mortgage here and get ourselves into trouble by starting a fire uh, without permission. Uh, But nobody ever burns the letter of satisfaction because that is the legal record that your debt is paid. Jesus issued a letter of satisfaction. Well, actually, God the Father, through the work of Jesus Christ, issued a letter of satisfaction. And that letter of satisfaction is claimed by the individual when you call upon the name of the Lord and ask him to save you. You recognize that Jesus alone paid your sin debt. Why do I believe that? Because the Bible says so. Amen? Why did they believe that on the day of Pentecost? Because God gave attendant phenomena to prove the statement's truthfulness. That's why we don't speak in tongues today. Because reproving something that has been proved only cast doubt upon the issue. Did you get that? Can we say amen to that? We're not going to reprove what God has already proved. That would be to bring it into question. That's why you ever meet someone that says, let me tell you something, I'm not lying, I'm telling you the truth, I really am this time. You have met a bona fide self-admitted liar. Be careful. Don't trust anything they say. Because if they had, if they were telling the truth, they don't have to constantly affirm it. I don't need a stack of Bibles. I just need you to read what's in your Bible. And you'll know that what I teach comes from the Bible. It's that simple. Can we say amen to that? And so, Jesus fulfilled the law and he offered a new way through his body, through his resurrection. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And if you will call upon God's name, believing the gospel message, you can and will be saved. Not by your power, not by your prayer, but by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why those words are there behind me. It is finished. There's nothing left to do. But I have one question to ask and then we're done. Do you see it? Can you remember the day when you called upon the name of the Lord and he saved you? Or are you among those that... Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure I did that. Would you want your eternity to rest on pretty sure? I'll tell you, I wouldn't. 
Well, I don't remember feeling... Well, wait a minute. Feelings do not prove anything. How many have felt bad about good things? Felt good about bad things? Not said. Your feelings do not change. It's not emotions. It is faith. Faith is believing what the Bible says enough to do it. 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost heard the message and they came to the only honest conclusion that any living human being could. That Peter making correlation to a prophecy 800 years extant was exactly fulfilled on this day and there is only one honest explanation for that. God. I like what the evolutionist said. He he had no idea. He was giving me such an excellent illustration. He said, all you people do is put God in the equation and it works. I said, yeah, you got it. That's the way it is. There's nothing you can put in your equation and make it work. I don't need four and a half billion years. I only need three letters. G-O-D. I don't need scientific theories. I don't need all of this psychobabble that goes on in our day. And by the way, the only way to get to heaven is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you believe on Him, what are you going to do? You're going to call upon His name. That's how you get saved. But but you understand, he, He might do something with my life that I don't want to do. Well, then you're not calling on his name. Just saying the name of Jesus is not calling on his name. When you call on the name of Jesus, you surrender everything you are. Because you have no other hope. I'm not that desperate yet. Well, could I challenge you that it is in your best interest to get there? It would be in your best interest to... Think upon this thing and examine the issue of your eternity to where you get to a point of desperation that you understand that only by calling upon the name of the Lord you can be saved. Those other things that Joel prophesied, the sun being turned to uh, darkness and the moon to blood, and read the book of Revelation. It's coming. Before the great day of the Lord, when He ends all things and begins eternity anew. Time is short, my friend. And, by the way, someone may say, Well, you sure have picked an obscure prophecy to prove the veracity. No, I have not. There are so many prophecies in this book. The reason I picked this one is because I want us to understand one thing. If you're going to be saved, you've got to call upon the name of the Lord, and that's the only way you get saved. It's not by works of righteousness. It's not by hope so. It doesn't matter how good or bad you feel about the thing. That's the message of the gospel. The prophecy of Joel was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. The message of Joel penned 800 years before Jesus walked this earth is the message of our church today. You stop and think about that. Nearly 2,000 years ago. You know, preachers were saying nearly 2,000 years ago in the 1970s when I was a young man. Now we're 2017. Think about that. Just a few years from being a full 2,000 to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet, 800 years before that, 2,700 years The message was penned that in that day, you'll call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. 
need to stop and think about these things. No other religion can make that claim to antiquity. And by the way, no other religion can make that claim to simplicity. And no other religion can make a claim to be faithful to the words of this book. Except those who will call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, my prayer is that everyone in this auditorium can readily remember a place, a time, an event in their life where they called upon the name of the Lord and asked Him to save them. Lord, I would pray that also if there be someone in here that comes up blank or says, well, I, I, th- I, I think I did. I, I'm pretty sure that they would be honest enough with themselves and with you and with your word to understand their lost condition. No one can get saved before they can willingly understand that they are lost. And Lord, if we have one person in this auditorium this morning that understands their lost state, then Lord, they would not leave here without believing, without calling upon the name of the Lord, without trusting the finished work of Jesus Christ to save them from their sins. And Lord, those that are saved, that you would renew within our hearts a spirit of taking that message to the world in which we live. A desire to see others get saved as well. And that we would never take any other course in our lives as saved people and to call upon the name of the Lord for every difficulty, for every struggle, for every praise, for every good thing, for every blessing, that we would continually call upon your name. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. As the hymn of invitation is played,